everyone. I'm Paul Botts. And I'm Kelsey Meyer-Shockle. We're both executive coaches with Good Leadership Enterprises, and this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. You can find more about Good Leadership Enterprises at goodleadership.com. We are recording this in the Aspiration Suite of our offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's where we coach leaders on how to grow their businesses with goodness. Today we're featuring Megan Remark from the Good Leadership Breakfast that happened just this morning. It's a monthly leadership development event that Paul started in 2009, and today was an awesome one. Yeah, it was actually our 75th breakfast. It was pretty awesome. I agree. Uh, Megan Remark is a leader that really does radiate goodness. We're going to listen to her shortly, and we're going to see how she as a leader really helped People work together to escalate this organization to the top 50 hospitals in America. I mean, that that's an extraordinary accomplishment, and they've been on that list for two years in a row. Wow, that's awesome. That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, so not even knowing that, I was just impressed with her demeanor, the way that her presence filled the room. She had this kind of calm confidence, and I kept thinking, you are a perfect airline pilot or hospital CEO. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how people that can be super calm and also very energetic and very confidence building at the same time, it's a rare quality. I think people um, really had a treat around that today. Yeah. So for our first time listeners, the strategy for this episode is what we call Monday morning quarterback. In other words, we'll play some of the highlights from Megan's talk this morning, and we'll share our observations and even criticisms based on our experiences as executive coaches. Yeah, so let's just begin right away with her opening comments. I thought you got off to a great start. Um, as Paul said, when, uh, when he and I first met, I had just accepted the position as president of Regents Hospital, but I hadn't moved into the role officially yet. And uh, being the planner that I am, When he and I sat down for our first meeting, I said, well, Paul, you know, I've been with Health Partners um, for over 20 years, and I've been a leader at Regions for over 10, so this coaching stuff, we'll just be together about a year, right? That, That, you know, I know what's happening, I know the culture of the organization, I know a lot about the team. And uh, I saw Paul looking at me inquisitively. He's looking at me and he's like, well, and this was classic. He said, well, Megan, you can just hear him. Let's, let's see how it goes, because most people that move into jobs like yours find that it takes upwards of three-plus years to feel confident and comfortable um, in these types of jobs. Well, of course, I looked at him and I went, huh, three years. Okay, in three years, my son will be done with middle school. My daughter will be a senior in high school. And I said to Paul, you know, I need to be effective in this job and have work-life balance with my family at this time in our lives. I need to be good at both those things now. I can't wait three years. A little bit of the overachiever in me. And uh, and so uh, we set our sights on a new goal. Um, Actually, the new goal for me was, let's not worry about how long you might be spending in coaching. Let's uh, worry about partnering together to be the most effective leader I can be and be there for my family. So her response as a brand new CEO or a soon-to-be CEO is exactly the same as most everyone else. I basically say you're not going to really understand this job until the fourth year. And I really mean it. I've done over 50 CEO coaching engagements, and I really think I need to write a book someday called (laughs) The Fourth Year. Yeah. Because people have no idea what it's like. That is the biggest transition to go from peer Mm. to CEO boss. And you could even hear a little bit of the bewilderment in her voice, like, I don't really know what I'm getting myself into. I thought she personalized it as her success actually had more to do with her role as a mom and a wife 
That was fascinating. Yeah, that was, that's the thing that struck me throughout her talk, and you'll hear it more, is I feel like she seamlessly blended personal and professional. And that's something we really value in the work that we do. So that was powerful to hear. So it's not really a surprise when we hear the next thing she talked about, the influence that her parents had on her leadership journey. So let's go there. I really realized that uh, probably the first and best mentors that I had were my parents. Um, I was... Uh, I was thinking about this through the lens of the fact that neither one of them are here anymore. They've both passed away. But I will forever be grateful for the fact that they were just such big supporters of mine and really my number one fans. And um, I think those of you who are parents can relate to this. You know, I hope my, my actually my husband and I both hope that we're providing those same gifts um, to our children as well. Um, I'm the youngest of three and the only girl in the family. I have two much older brothers, which I'm sure when they see this will say, great, much older brothers. Um, but they were more like fathers to me. And um, I'm still uh, in touch with them and, and really know that I can call on them and rely on them if I ever need anything. So I feel, feel very fortunate about that. Um, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, yes, people are actually born in Las Vegas. <laughs> Um, which is why you can see when I first thought about moving to Minnesota, everyone was like, what? You're moving to Minnesota? Why would you do that? Um, but I've grown to love the Four Seasons, and uh, it's just been a treat to live here in Minnesota. I recognize that I am who I am today in large part because of my parents. Uh, my father was raised during the Depression, and he was a World War II vet. Um, Larry was his name, and he was probably one of the happiest people that I have ever known. He was an optimist. He valued what he had. He didn't live with any regrets. And from my dad, I really learned the power of having a great work ethic, of always showing up, of living in the moment. And probably the best lesson my father taught me was to savor the great times so that you were storing up that energy to help you through the challenging times. Uh, my mom, Betty, was a great person. She um, was a school teacher, actually, at a vocational high school um, for kids who knew they probably weren't going to be able to go to college or weren't interested in college, but wanted to have some marketable skills right out of high school that would be appealing to employers. And my mom loved being a teacher, and she was really good at it. Um, what I also am reminded about, and I, and I remember having several conversations, well, or she was having a conversation with me about this, about the fact that although she enjoyed what she did, she felt like um, when she got her education, there were very few choices for women in her generation. And her message to me was, the sky is the limit. You can do whatever you set your mind to, and don't let anybody define a box for what you should do or shouldn't do. And while it was my mother's influence that first got me interested in healthcare when I was in college, it was really my father's experience in healthcare that I think planted the seed for the healthcare profession that I love the most. Um, and so I want to share with you a little bit about Larry's story. Um, when I was 10 years old, my father was seriously burned in an accident at work. And back then, um, kids weren't allowed, I was 10, so kids kids weren't allowed in the intensive care units. And so my father was making it a priority um, to have the, the team wheel him out into the lobby, into the hallway, so that I would have a chance to see him during his recovery. We don't do that anymore in hospitals, by the way. Um, we want to make sure our families all get to stay together with their loved ones. 
But I distinctly remember sitting on this bench and seeing my dad wrapped in bandages. Um, his, he had third-degree burns on his face, his arms, and his hands. And in um, typical Larry Miller style, he was worried about me and wanting to make me feel confident or comfortable and um, wanting to make sure I knew that he was going to be okay. Now, one of the things that my dad loved the most um, on a day-to-day -day basis was because he worked outside as an electrician, in Vegas it's hot, um, every day he savored that moment where he got to crack that cold can of beer and, and, have, uh, and have a beer after work. And so when my father was hospitalized, one of my distinct memories was that those two older brothers of mine, with I think the help of some of the staff, um, snuck in beer um, with a straw because he couldn't yet drink beer out of a can directly. And so um, I just have these memories of straws in their pockets and they're bringing the beer in. And I just have this picture in my head that the staff just looked the other way because of course beer is the last thing you should probably be drinking when you're in the hospital. Um, and, that, and that story for me, when I think about those two snapshots, really um, resonated with me about the fact that if the staff had anything to do with it, it was because they knew that those two things, having this father see his 10-year-old daughter and having those brothers provide him that beer, were providing just a little bit of comfort and a little bit of hope that things were going to get back together. And uh, I think for me that lesson is it's the small things, not just the big things, that make a really big difference. Um, my first healthcare job was in college. I uh, started working, it started as a volunteer job and turned into a paid job as a patient representative at the Veterans Administration Medical Center in Salt Lake City, Utah. And it was a terrific job. I did it part-time while I was going to school. And, um, and I had a great mentor who had gotten his master's in health administration, and that was when I first heard about um, training programs beyond undergraduate. But one of the best benefits of working at the VA um, was really having the opportunity to spend time talking to World War II veterans, and actually I got to talk to a couple World War I veterans as well, and hear about their lives and their experiences. And that first job for me really, I think, um, instilled in me the concept that healthcare is personal. You know, you listen to the veterans talk about what they hoped to do, even if they were really sick and might never make it out of the hospital. They talked about hoping they could have one more great day of fishing with their buddies, or that they could see their grandkids again in the comfort of their own home. It was those simple things. And the other lesson that I learned from those veterans is that no matter how old you get, you always want another day to be healthy, to, be, to feel valued, and to be respected. She says so much in that. There's so much in that story. And um, one thing that has stuck out to me since hearing this the first time is the use of the word savor, talking about the way her dad savored moments. She talked about that a few times. And it just struck me, how many people are you coaching who take the time to savor their successes or savor those moments? It feels like there's so much rush in our lives. And that's one of the gifts we get to help bring as a coach. Mm -hmm. And I think um, unique to people who um, lead in a hospital situation, there's so much 
hardship and damage and death and dying and, and things like that. But the best of them walk down the hallway and see people healing. Mm. And I think that's uh, really unique. And I've, I have many, many clients in the hospital realm, and that's one of the things they all have in common. Uh, you know, we let that tape roll because I just think the depth of the story about how she really developed that compassion in her leadership. But there was a twist in here for me. I'm, I'm always looking for how do I hear things differently? And I always think about visiting the hospital, especially if you're sick, as a big thing. Mm. And so she said, but it's actually about the little things. Mm. And that was really fascinating to me because I think about, you know, going for a surgery or having to stay in the hospital for a week as a really big deal. And she shrunk it down to these little tiny conversations and the way people touch. And uh, thinking about healthcare, it's the small things. That, that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. I, I can absolutely see that. There's another thing is that um, none of us can deny the influence our parents had on who we became as leaders. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I, I can't imagine there was anybody in the audience this morning that was not thinking about the impacts their parents. She talked so explicitly about her father and how her father's influence was different than her mother. Mm-hmm. She also said that her mother drove the conversation, which made me giggle because I know, Megan, she drives conversations. <laughs> So she may not have made that connection, but we can. Yeah, that's exactly right. Anything go through your head about the influence of your parents? Oh, absolutely. I see. um, It's amazing. It's fun to me being in my mid-30s almost. Yeah. how those things keep layering in like right there's always a new piece to the puzzle where you, where mm-hmm. you make a connection oh i didn't realize mm-hmm. that's a thing i got from my my mom ran her own business when mm-hmm. she had us and i never that didn't occur to me as something i was doing mm-hmm. yeah so obviously for me too my parents have had a great influence my dad was an entrepreneur um, and I'm in my mid-50s, and I'm starting to watch who my kids are becoming, and that has a lot to do with how I like to show up at work. So, mm. you know, enough said about that. And if you're listening um, at home or in your car or anything, I want you to uh, – I hope you're reflecting on how your parents have shaped your journey. Right. Well, uh, let's move ahead. Uh, she talks about the ability to learn from her mistakes. I think that's a really good place for us to go next. Now, one of the things that I uh – I continued to hear as I was early in my career is that you learn more from your mistakes than you do your wins or your victories. And I am uh, really glad about the fact that I learned some of my biggest lessons, some of my biggest mistakes early in my career. And as I, as I talk with um, new young leaders, I say, try and make sure you're taking as much advantage of your youth as possible on a small stage to fail fast, to learn from it, and to be able to make sure that you can continue to grow and expand as a leader. And so one of the first jobs I took before I came to Health Partners was a clinic manager position. I later figured out I was probably the youngest person in the clinic. And of course, it was my very first kind of official leadership role. And um, I knew that there were going to be some challenges because um, I was the second or third clinic manager um, in about three or four year period. So there had been a lot of turnover. And there wasn't a lot of accountability. There wasn't a lot of structure in the role. And so my job was to help get the clinic back on track. So I had a lot of great ideas. And I started implementing those. Um, Only very soon into my tenure to find out that the staff really weren't loving all the things that I had in mind for this clinic. And um, they actually called Human Resources and said, quote, we don't think this manager's really working out. (laughs) So uh, one day I got a call from Human Resources and said, "Um, tomorrow, 
actually there's two of us that are coming out um, at the request of the staff to hear their grievances about the fact that they don't really like what you're doing and um, they're not really um, interested in having you continue as their clinic manager. Oh, well, you can imagine. I was devastated. Oh, and by the way, and you need to leave the building when we're having this conversation. <laughs> so, um, so I was like, okay. I, uh, I, I left the building. I had lunch by myself. <laughs> and um, I came back after and had a conversation with Human Resources. And um, the director actually led this conversation, I think, in a really compassionate way, which is another lesson in and of itself. And she said, OK, Megan, what you're doing needs to happen. We need to have this clinic perform at a different level. But how you're going about it is not allowing the team you're working with to really hear the change through that lens of encouragement. So you're, you're talking at people as, as opposed to talking with people. And I didn't have the words for it at the time, but I really wasn't leading through that lens of goodness. Okay, so that's the lesson for any leader at any age and at any point in your career. You can push reset. <laughs> if you have the ability to admit that you've been an idiot and that you're not radiating goodness and that you're going to try better tomorrow, people will give you that chance as long as you do it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, right. As long as you consistently live the new, the new way, essentially. Yeah, as she was giving that story, I was thinking about two moments in my career where I had moments just like that. Mm. I was so compelled to deliver the result that I was um, challenged by our CEO to deliver that I just basically did it my way. And it worked short term. <laughs> and then after, well, I couldn't even see it coming. It just stopped working. Yeah. And so I think most people who've had a long career uh, have experienced moments like that. Yeah. Yeah. It came up a few times in the talk today, and it's something you talk about, this idea of a superhero leader. Mm -hmm. I, I see in these situations one of two things mm -hmm. when I'm coaching people. It's the superhero mm -hmm. or the victim. Mm -hmm. Um, will you talk a little bit about the superhero leadership yeah, model? Yeah, so the superhero is the instinct to jump in and take over as if people need to be rescued, as if mm -hmm. you're the only one that can get this done the way you see it in your head. It, it only works in a crisis. Mm -hmm. It turns people away. It's exactly the opposite of what we talk about in goodness. Goodness is the idea that we will thrive together. Well, if, if we're only doing it your way and I feel discounted, well, that's not thriving together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then there are some who are obsessed with the idea that because they can't do it their way, they're a victim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is equally as unacceptable because of the negativity. Absolutely. That spiral. But, but I love your point of bringing back to you. You can, you can come back from that. Yeah, we can all push reset. We can all do it. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll make a transition to the next topic, which might be actually the most important thing she talked about. Um, when I introduced Megan this morning, I described... What I've learned in my coaching with hospital executives that I think hospitals is the running a hospital successfully is the most intricate teamwork dance that there is. I think even more than NASA putting a rocket into into um, into outer space, the numbers of people that have to have such high training in order to actually care for somebody through something dramatic and traumatic in a hospital it, it just blows your mind when you start to look around. Yeah. And so um, I asked her. Um, a couple different times in preparing for this speech to talk about how she thinks about teamwork. So let's just go there. So what's a gold medal team? Well, it's achieving outstanding results and doing it in a really effective way for the benefit of our patients, for the benefit of our employees, 
for our colleagues across all of health partners that we work with, um, as, as well as um, for ourselves. And we identified a couple of characteristics that for us would make sure we could stay on track to becoming that gold medal team. And I wanna share with you just a couple of those, uh, um, those initiatives. The first is that we agreed as a leadership team that we would always lead with appreciation and that we would share success stories broadly. There was uh, someone, one of my mentors early on said, you know, no one ever says, please stop appreciating me. I've really just heard it enough. I know I'm great. Um, and we don't even have to talk about it anymore. So uh, we realized that we can't appreciate enough. And particularly when we know we have 4,700 employees at Regions Hospital, you want to spread the love as far and, and wide as you possibly can. Second is we agreed that we would stay focused on rewarding results and not just effort. And that was a big deal for us because a lot of times we would hear from teams and we would talk about all of the great efforts, but we weren't moving in the direction that we needed to move in from a goals perspective. The third is to make sure that we as leaders were encouraging healthy tension throughout the entire organization, that the leader doesn't always have the right answer and that how do we make it okay at any place within the organization to raise your hand and either stop the line from a safety perspective or to say, you know what, I think we can get a better result by doing something differently. So inserting healthy tension in not just boardrooms and official meetings, but having people know that they can walk up and have a conversation and give a suggestion. And that has really helped us quite a bit. Um, fourth is leading with facts and not emotion and not anecdotes. How many times as a leader have we heard one side of the story and started going down a path only to find out there's two or three other versions and that you'd really like to hear the whole surround sound before you make a decision? So that's been something that we've been really focused on. And last but not least is to recognize that Regions Hospital is not an island, that we work within a very big organization that does a lot of great work and that we need to be there for our partners across the entire Health Partners organization to make care simple and affordable for our patients for that lofty goal. First of all, let me clarify, Health Partners is a very prominent brand in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. This is obviously a, a hotbed of innovation in healthcare with the Mayo Clinic being part of Minnesota culture. And Health Partners not only has primary care, but they have hospitals and they also have an insurance plan. So it touches many, 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 many people that are um, in the Minneapolis-St. Uh, Paul suburban area. Right. So my thought here is this, um, we have not yet given the definition of goodness on the air here in this podcast. And so I'm going to right now because we define goodness as when people thrive together mm -hmm. in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. Mm -hmm. And when she was listing off how she does executes her gold medal team strategy, I heard parallels to all those concepts right there. And I'm, I'm just kind of beaming inside as one of her executive coaches. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think um, when even just in that definition, I'm so glad you said that one of the concepts that she listed healthy tension is something mm -hmm. we talk about yep. a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's even a healthy tension when you think about appreciation and rewarding results, right? Mm -hmm. Or this, this idea, I, I see um, leaders and organizations struggle with how do we have this balance between the how and supporting people and enc being encouraging and have structure around what results should be. And when I first introduced the concept of healthy tension to them, I said, do you think that's possible? And they said, no, that tension was not healthy. And so I'm like, well, we've got to get through that eye of the 
the needle here on this concept because you can only get to healthy tension when you develop care and concern for each other, so much so that you'll hold them accountable to facts and results because it's good for both of us. Yeah. And when they got through the eye of the needle on that concept, it was really magical. They're they're one of the highest performing teams that I know. And the healthy tension concept really is a catalyst for them. Yeah. Yeah. And it made it onto their gold medal team plan. So that's pretty cool too. Yeah, it sure did. Um, Okay. So let's move to the next thing where she talked about how goodness is actually something very personal Mm. that can be leveraged in leadership. One of the things that I love about um, the definition of goodness, and so Paul's got it right up here, goodness when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork, is the fact that um, each of us as leaders need to recognize that um, goodness starts with us. It starts with us as leaders. How I talk, how I behave, how I respond under pressure, how I react in a crisis should all be through the lens of goodness. And it's not about being nice. It's about being clear and accountable. It's about accepting and admitting when I've made a mistake. And it's about engaging not just with the other leaders in our organization, but spending time rounding and talking with and being among all of our employees. So there's nothing I love more than to really have a great conversation with our teams and find out what's working and what's really not working. And if there's one message I'd like to leave you with today, it's that the fact that um, if you don't see goodness in your boss or in your organization, that you can create goodness where you're at, no matter where you are in the organizational chart. And that people want to follow an organization where they believe in the mission and they feel valued and supported. And that comes directly from their supervisors and from their bosses. Um, Healthcare is a challenging field. Um, For many of you, actually, there's a few of you here today in the healthcare business. And um, for us, it's highly regulated. There's a lot of external pressures, both at the state and the federal level. And for a lot of the not-for-profit sector, like hospitals and clinics and other smaller not-for-profits, we manage on really small margins, really razor-thin margins. And so as a result, we ask a lot of our teams. We are simultaneously working hard to always improve care, to always improve the patient and family experience, and to continue to try and reduce costs. And it's a team sport. In a hospital, for example, we have estimated that in a three-day hospital stay, a patient will interface with at least 100 employees. That's hundreds of moments of truth. And we talk about the fact that all it takes is one of those moments of truth to fail, to erode trust and confidence in the care we're providing, even though it may have just been one bad experience. So that's a pretty high bar when you think about it. And our team has really been focused on how we contribute to the resiliency of our employees. Because at Regents Hospital, we are a level one trauma facility that's also a safety net. We're focused on taking care of everyone regardless of their ability to pay. And I'm proud to say we have 4,700 people that run to trouble, not away from it. And that takes a lot of energy. And we want people to stay in healthcare for a lifetime and building in resilience and the opportunity to have um, new challenges and advancement is really important for any, anyone, but particularly important in healthcare because we want people to be able to um, spend their lifetime in that career. Um, in close, I just wanted to share a story that I heard from one of our patients. One of the things that I um, really 
um, appreciate the most is having the opportunity to talk directly to patients and their families about the care they're receiving. And one night I was leaving the office and I was headed towards the elevators and I ran into a man and his wife um, who were looking for the same elevators I was walking to. And he had an unusual bandage on his arm that went like, all the way up on his shoulder, all the way down um, over his hand. And I soon learned that um, he was um, in an automobile accident where he was minding his own business and he was hit from behind. He was in his truck and at the time that the truck rolled off the side of the embankment, he had his arm out the window. And so his arm was pinned underneath the truck and he came pretty close to losing that arm and had many, many surgeries and many stays at Regions. And they had, I think what I, what I had figured out was they had come for an outpatient PT visit and he was walking very gingerly. And he was pretty emotional and he stopped me right in the hall even before we were walking to the elevators and he said, I want you to know two things. Number one is that your trauma team and your emergency department saved my life. And the staff on the inpatient unit saved my spirit when there was times I thought I couldn't go on. And it's stories like that. At Regions, we see the unexpected and the tragic every day. But we also get to deliver babies and be there when people find out that they're in remission for cancer. And it's stories like that that bring me all the way back to my first job at the VA. Healthcare's personal. And everybody wants just another day to feel better, to feel valued, to be productive. And that's why I think goodness pays. Paul, she just proved your point about this NASA concept versus running healthcare. Because you have all these highly trained people, but at the end of the day, what people are, are measuring them on really is how it makes them feel. Yeah, you have to get people to buy into those moments of truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. And, you know, I was listening to the complexity of it um, and thinking about, okay, running a level one trauma center. Uh, my problems are so trivial here at the office. I mean, seriously, <laughs> yeah. if my computer runs out of juice, that's not at all like somebody coming in after a gunshot wound Well, when the, the, the ER and the OI are both booked. Mm. I mean, how they handle things like that mm. with grace and dignity and those moments of truth, it's it just, it's, it's extraordinary. I feel grateful that I know her. I feel comforted as a human being that people like her and then Regions Hospital exist. And so, yeah, it was a really, really awesome experience to hear that firsthand from her this morning. Absolutely. All right. So for our podcast listeners who aren't there in the same room with us, one thing that's important to explain about the format of the breakfast is that at the end, when the speaker's done sharing their story, Paul comes up on stage and actually asks a few questions so that we get to hear a little bit more on the inside about what that person's thinking and feeling. So we're going to jump to one of the questions that Paul asked. Let's circle back to um, your belief system about goodness. Um, I'm really fascinated to ask people and to hear their answer to this question. Was there, is there a specific moment when you look back on your leadership where you can say, yep, that's a proof point that goodness really does pay? Uh, you know, I'm actually going to share an example that's recent um, because I, I didn't have the words for goodness um, until recently. And um, we had a, a situation where we had a really challenging family and patient situation in our mental health unit. And, um, 
and the family was being very disrespectful to the staff and very threatening. And um, we had a team of folks that huddled up because the situation had escalated um, to a pretty scary point. And um, we spent probably six or seven phone calls over a two-day period. And I just continued to think that the way in which we handle this is going to determine the outcome. And so I led through a lens of goodness and said, how can we make it possible for these family members to still see their loved one and keep our staff safe? And that was a really uncomfortable space for our team to be in. Because the first thing you want to do, of course, and I want to do as well, is to just say, sorry, nobody can visit anymore. We're, we're not going to allow that. And um, our team worked really hard and really creatively, and I was really proud of the leadership team who interfaced with this family and set up some structure. And um, we got that family back reunited with their loved one. And um, I think at the end of the day, we were all really proud that we led with goodness when we could have just led with anger or, um, or protectiveness mm -hmm. alone. And I think the staff felt supported as well because it's what we would want if we were in those situations. So Beautiful. Thank you very much Thanks. for being with us today. So I have deliberately added that question to be the closing question for everyone who speaks at the Good Leadership Breakfast from here forward, mainly because uh, I've been talking for 10 years now about my belief system that goodness pays, but when you hear it come out of the mouths of people who lead that way, it's really very, very convincing. Mm -hmm. So what went through your mind when you heard her describe that story? Yeah. Yeah, a, a, a number of things. It, I went back to this idea of complexity and how um, shifting the focus from self-protection, which totally makes sense, to how do we how do we lead with goodness through this, it, it reminded me of how goodness begets creativity. It, and there's neurological components to mm -hmm, that. You're mm -hmm. opening up different spaces mm -hmm. in your brain. Yep. But there are options available that you might not have seen if you hadn't taken that stance or that posture. Yeah, it, that's the thrive together is the core of that. And so it's obvious that she could have won in the short term by protecting her employees, saying, you know what, I'm protecting the employees. We're just not going to allow those kind of visitors to come. Mm -hmm. But that only, that only one side of the equation wins then, and that sets up, you know, a feud. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was a, a spectacular example. I'm really looking forward in the future uh, hearing more examples like that. And uh, also to our, to our listening public here, um, I, I'd love to hear from you. If you know of a leader that radiates goodness, that does things in such a way that makes you feel better about yourself and causes the organization to thrive, I want to hear about it. Just send me an email, Paul at Good Leadership, and let's start the conversation. Okay, so as we turn towards the end here now, um, I want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about actionable insights. This is the carpe diem moment. So what did you, Kelsey, learn from Megan Remark that you can actually do differently right away? Yeah, there's one bit that just jumped out to me in the gold medal piece that she was talking about, leading with appreciation. It's so simple, but so easy to pass by. So that to me is the, I'm going to go home and appreciate my nanny. 
Yeah, so we have a whole suite of things that we talk to people about in our coaching, but I'm going back to the healthy tension and how powerful that is. When teams learn how to embrace that tension and and consider it to be healthy and can challenge each other in ways where people feel respected and energized, that's really the secret sauce to the very most high-performing teams. So I'm going to keep going. I'm I'm going to renew my commitment to healthy tension early in these relationships. Great. Great. Good. So... We can't leave our podcast without just reinforcing the simplest message that we're trying to get across. So what is that message, Kelsey? Well, it's goodness pays. Yeah, and we can hear it from Megan here too. Goodness pays. And then from me, goodness pays. We really do believe that. And we're grateful that you spent some time with us, whether it's in your drive time, whether it's exercise time, or just, you know... Maybe time sitting down with a beer like uh, Megan's dad, Larry, right? (laughs) Even with a straw. Yeah, we are so grateful and we look forward to uh, talking with you again soon. Thanks. Thanks.